This won't end well for Illinois. Here's a three. It ended well. McCourt for the win. In the air. It is up. And it is good. Fourth and 16. Pressure comes. And Matt Orbebe with a ball in the air. Makes the catch. Welcome to Oski Talk. I'm Drew Pastoric. A very eventful week in Fighting Illini Athletics, specifically if you're a fan of Illinois basketball. You know we're going to talk about Penn State. Can't not talk about that debacle Wednesday night in State College. But I'm going to put a different slant on it. Plenty of stuff to say about that game. But I think based on what happened on Saturday we can lighten up just a tad. So, again, I'll share my thoughts on Brad Underwood and the program as a whole. I'll I'll dive into the outcome on Wednesday night, but then Illinois' recovery on Saturday afternoon as well. Women's basketball took on Caitlin Clark and the Iowa Hawkeyes on Sunday. We'll recap that. And there's a lot of spillover now with the Winter Sports Championships getting closer and closer and some spring sports getting hot and heavy. And an Illini program did something it had not done since 2013. So something 11 years in the making achieved by the Fighting Illini this weekend. Definitely don't want to leave that out as well. Before I get into any of that, though, Oski Talk is sponsored by Liddyville LLC. Liddyville is a clothing and accessory retailer dedicated to inspiring customers through a unique combination of product, creativity, and cultural understanding. You can check out Liddyville's player alumni line. All those purchases will benefit either current Illinois athletes or university alumni organizations and charities. You can get your officially licensed merchandise right now at Liddyville.com. That's L-I-T-T-Y-V-I-L-L-E.com. All right, I wanted to lead things off by spotlighting our Illini of the Week, uh, some notable results and accolades from the Olympic sports or non-revenue sports, if you prefer. Beginning with gymnastics, the 21st-ranked Illini placed second in the Big Five meet at Penn State over the weekend. Leiden Saltness took home first place on bars, Almost a perfect score, 9.975. That was Illinois' only individual event winner, but overall finishing second at that really good meet. Uh, I think uh, Michigan, Michigan State, Maryland, and Penn State were the other Big Ten competitors in that particular event. Illinois, again, placing second. They improved to 10-8 and eight on the year and 4-5 and five in Big Ten competition. Switching to softball now, Tyra Perry's club split four games this weekend in Cathedral City, California. It began on Friday with an 11-9 loss to 21st-ranked Cal. Abby Riniak went three for four with three RBIs. The Illini rebounded on Saturday, defeating Cal Poly 16-1. Riniak, another three RBI day. She went two for five with those three runs batted in. Eileen Donahue had a pinch hit three RBI double and her only at bat. And Paige Berkmeyer finished three for four against Cal Poly with four RBIs. Also on Saturday, Illinois falling to number 19 UCLA, 10 to two. The Illini were on top. 2-0 after the first inning. UCLA kind of poured it on in the middle inning, scoring three in the fourth and six in the fifth. 
to run rule the Illini. Riniak, though, another excellent effort, including a two-run double for Illinois. And the orange and blue wrapped up that event this weekend with a 6-2 victory over Hawaii on Sunday. Five different Illini tallied an RBI in that win. So Illinois moving to 3-6 on the young season. They will travel to Baton Rouge, Louisiana this upcoming weekend. They'll take on Louisiana Tech, McNeese State, San Diego State, and the host LSU Tigers starting on Friday. From softball, we go to baseball. It was a rough weekend for the Illini. This weekend in Conway, South Carolina, Illinois losing all three of their contests. It started on Friday with a loss to 25th ranked Coastal Carolina, 17 to nine final score. But that didn't really tell the whole story. Illinois was ahead 5-4 entering the bottom of the fifth. And then the Chanticleers exploded with 10 runs in that inning. And Illinois wound up trailing 14-5 after five. I got off to a really good start. They were hitting the ball very well. But those pitching woes continued on Saturday. Illinois falling 10-3 to the Cincinnati Bearcats. Illinois trailed 8-0 after the fifth inning. Tried to rally late and keep things a little bit closer. And then Illinois dropping a 7-1 decision to Ball State on Sunday. So an 0-for-3 weekend, but Cameron Chi Aloy did uh, continue his stellar start to the season. He's reached base in all seven games, has a seven-game hit streak to begin the season. Up next for Illinois, the home opener. They'll take on Eastern Illinois on Tuesday. Moving on to some of the championships in winter sports. Swimming and diving competed in the Big Ten Championships in West Lafayette this past weekend. A couple of individual accolades there. The 200-meter relay team set a school record with a time of 1 minute 38.63 seconds, placing 7th overall, but did set that new program record. Logan Keeney broke the program record in the 50-meter freestyle, clocking a time of 22.79 seconds. And then Sydney Stoll, continuing her record-breaking season, she set her own school record in the 200-meter freestyle as part of the relay team, 1 minute 47.53 seconds. And then she broke her own school record in the 100-meter butterfly with a time of 54.00 seconds. Sydney Stoll's been doing that all year. She's been having a phenomenal season, though the team has not performed maybe as well as we'd hoped. Sydney Stoll's been a bright spot, absolutely. But I'd be remiss if I did not talk about track and field. It was the Big Ten Indoor Championships this weekend. Men's track and field finishing seventh in the team competition. Aiden Wimet earned a Big Ten title in the heptathlon, a program record and a Big Ten Championships event record. 6,120 points in the grueling heptathlon. Uh, Wimet was victorious, took gold in the pole vault with a score of 4.90 meters, also won the 60-meter hurdles with a time of 8.05 seconds. So he'll move on to the indoor championships coming up in a few weeks. But got to give a shout-out to Illinois women's track and field. Big Ten indoor champions For the first time since 2013, Illinois had not finished better than ninth at the indoor championships in the previous 11 seasons. So just an explosion this year 
Tons of talent, tons of records being set and broken. Let's start with Bara Saitakova. She was a Big Ten champion in the high jump, 1.89 meters. Daria Sopova took gold in the triple jump with a distance of 13.39 meters. It's the first Illini to take first place in the Big Ten championships in triple jump since 07. And then Jessica McDowell won the 200-meter race with a time of 23.32 seconds. Overall, the women totaled 104 points, defeating second-place Penn State by 17 points. So again, first time in 11 years, the Illini have won the Big Ten indoor title. Can't say enough about the work Petros Kiprianu has done. He's the director of track, field, and cross country. Won two national titles as head coach at Georgia before moving to Champaign. And it's only been a couple of years, but those dividends have been paid and then some. Illinois back on the track and field map in a major, major way. And They'll try to carry that success over into the NCAA Indoor Championships. It's coming up in a few weeks, March 8th and 9th. I would fully expect some Illinois track and field athletes to bring home some hardware there. Once again, Oski Talk is sponsored by Liddyville LLC. You can purchase officially licensed Fighting Illini merchandise at liddyville.com. That's L-I-T-T-Y-V-I-L-L-E.com. Got to do it now. Got to switch to basketball. And, whoo, man, that was some game on Wednesday, right? I mean... <laughs> That was the agony and the ecstasy. That was the complete sports fan experience rolled into one package on Wednesday night. Illinois traveling to Penn State. Really loved that they played in the rec hall. Kind of felt like you were watching your team play in a regional title game or a sectional title game. It had a cool vibe to it. I didn't have any issues with the venue. Some fans did. I think that's just crazy to think that that had anything to do with the outcome of the game. The players are used to it being loud wherever they go. That was just a little louder because it was a smaller venue, a unique venue. It might have given Penn State a particular advantage because there wasn't a lot of room for opposing fans. Sure. I'll, I'll give you that. But Penn State's played in that arena like once in the last 10 years. Those players weren't used to playing in that gym either. So uh, I, I'm not going to point to, they played the game at Rec Hall as some reason for Illinois just falling apart. And make no mistake about it, Illinois did fall apart against Penn State. Illini with a 14-point second-half lead. They can't finish. It winds up being a 90-89 victory by the Nittany Lions. Illinois had a 20-7 run to close out the first half. They led by seven. It was probably Illinois' worst half defensively all season, and they were ahead by seven. And this goes back to what we had seen all year but even those late game struggles those were on the defensive end Illinois offense has been spectacular they're fourth in adjusted offense they're an elite offensive team I'll get to that in a minute uh, the teams combined speaking of scoring teams combined for 18 scorers 18 different players scored in the first half this is this was a fun game it was entertaining as hell. And then the last five minutes or so turned into a nightmare if you root for Illinois. But it was a very physical game as well. Both teams getting into it with each other. Illinois had a huge rebounding advantage in this game, which made the, the final score all that more 
hard to swallow. Just highlighting a couple of things. Terrence Shannon Jr., a career night on Wednesday. 35 points, shot 10 of 18 from the field, 13 of 19 from the free throw line. Again, I'll get to more on that. Had some nice segments from Dre Gibbs-Lawhorn and Amani Hansberry. But mostly, this game came down to defense. Illinois not being able to stop Penn State. Nick Kern at one point had 13 consecutive points for Penn State, who, by the way, was missing their top scorer, Kanye Clary had been dismissed from the team prior to this game. So you're thinking, okay, Penn State's without their number one guy. Penn State had also scored 49 points total in the previous game. So naturally, they're going to drop 41 in the first half and 49 in the second half against the Illini. Like you just, you saw that coming a mile away. But everyone's going to talk about the final minute or so of the game. Illinois was outscored 8-0 in the final 35 seconds. They led by 14 in the second half. But credit Penn State for making plays. This, it was a colossal choke job by Illinois. I'm not saying anything to the contrary. It was a terrible loss. An absolutely terrible loss. Our Mike Farmer put together an article at thechampagneroom.com following the Illinois loss to Penn State saying, Illinois will pay for its issues in March. And, And I start off by agreeing with Mike because... I don't like complaining about a team that's second in the Big Ten and a lock for the NCAA tournament. But this team can be frustrating. And we saw this specifically against Penn State, but it had reared its ugly head against Nebraska and Michigan State and Maryland before that. So it was a pattern that was making you very nervy, giving you some agita as an Illini fan. So here's a a snippet from Mike's article at the Champagne Room. In the final four minutes, Illinois had two turnovers, missed three free throws, fouled a Penn State three-point shooter, made just one field goal, and was outscored 17-7. Illinois led by 10 with 2.30 to go, led by 7 with 40 seconds to go. All that is true. It's a colossal Collapse And our own Ples Honeywood put together what I called a pipe bomb promo. If you're a pro wrestling fan, you'll get that. Outlining the calamitous finish. And again, I'm not disagreeing with the fact that it was an awful loss. It was a choke job. It was a meltdown. Whatever you want to categorize it as, it was that. But here are some differences. If you watch the game, it was also a very fluky thing. It was different than some of those late game woes we've seen. And I am not Mr. Sunshine. I'm not blowing rainbows up people's asses, but this is like, we've got to stop overreacting to every single outcome of every single game. This was a very fluky game. And I will credit some of this of what I'm about to say to Careless Whisperer. He's a frequent contributor to the Champagne Room's uh, comment section. He's a loyal friend of the site. We have exchanges on Twitter every now and again. I'll I'll add to some things as well, but I'll paraphrase what he said. You can attribute this loss to many things. It was a confluence of events. It was a cyclone of shit, basically. And Careless Whisper was adding this part of it that 
essentially like 10 different things had to happen in order for Penn State to win. And if one of those 10 things doesn't happen, Penn State doesn't win. So you've got earlier in the half, the second half, you've got dual goaltending calls. Penn State got a basket by virtue of a goaltend against Terrence Shannon. I think it was Shannon on the other end on its way down when Penn State blocked it, which would result in a goaltend. They were looking more at, you know, it hitting the backboard versus the trajectory of the shot. So it should have been a made Illinois basket. That should have counted for two, and they should have rescinded Penn State's two. But instead, they don't do that. They call both of those blocks clean. So instead of it being 77-70 Illinois, it's 75-68. So they just said it's a wash. But Illinois should have had two additional points. If you look at it and you look at the rule for what goaltending is, that was a goaltend. So there's item one. Another part is Illinois not being able to defend or execute a single out-of-bounds play the entire night. They were getting cooked on those blob plays, the baseline out-of-bounds play. Backdoor cuts. Man, Harmon himself got beat like five times on backdoor cuts. They were just carving up Illinois on those out-of-bounds plays. And Illinois had trouble getting the ball inbounds or not turning the ball over once it was inbounds. Illinois had, I think it was 13 turnovers in the second half. They finished with 18 for the game. Penn State only had six. TSJ missed six free throws. Again, he had a career night. 35 points. He was pretty much unguardable heading towards the rim. We've seen that time and time again, how deadly he is as a downhill driver. He was 13 of 19 from the free throw line. He missed six free throws. Any one of those makes, it's a different story. Speaking of free throws, Coleman Hawkins missing two free throws in the final, what, 30 seconds. And he's an 80-plus percent free throw shooter. He's not a scrub. Then what lost the game was when Coleman Hawkins, on the ensuing possession, fouled a three-point shooter for Penn State. The foul itself wasn't egregious. It wasn't malicious. But you got to give the guy room to land. And Hawkins didn't do that. So there's that. You have Harmon. Driving, missing a contested layup at the end of the game. Yes, there was traffic. There was a lot of guys around, but it's a layup and he missed it. So you've got all of this stuff going on. Goaltending calls that were missed. Illinois committing a zillion turnovers in the second half. Illinois looking completely inept on inbounds plays. Getting beat Repeatedly on backdoor cuts. Terrence Shannon Jr. clanging six free throws. Uh, I'll add this as well. This was from our Noah Cowell champagner. He tweeted this out. Illinois sending three guys to crash the glass up seven, which led to a fast break Penn State three. Then towards the end of the game, you had... Marcus Damas getting trapped in the corner on an inbounds play and ultimately giving the ball back to Penn State. You had Shannon dribbling through a double team during a full court press like 85 feet from the basket, which has never worked in the history of basketball. He was probably grabbed. He was fouled a little bit, but it was a bad idea. The referees generally aren't going to reward you for making a stupid decision. That was a bad decision. And then you have Luke Goody earlier in the in the uh, the waning moments of the second half. I forget the time that was on the clock. I want to say it was like two and a half minutes or something like that. It might have been less. I don't remember. But 
There was a run out, and Luke Goody gets a, a wide open three. And instead of maybe dribbling it up the court, burning some clock, he takes a three. Again, he is wide TF open, and he misses it. And everyone says, oh, my God, how can he take that shot? That's such a selfish decision. How could he take that shot? If that shot goes in, Illinois wins, and we're not even having this friggin' conversation. Luke Goody had a pretty good game on Wednesday. He was three out of five from three. Oh, he missed a shot. Okay. He's wide open. He's one of the guys you trust to shoot a three wide open. It's not Dane Danger out there 30 feet from the basket. So all of those things played a part in Illinois' collapse against Penn State. It wasn't the gym that they were playing in, because again, Penn State also had not played in that gym before. And it sure as shit was not the blue uniforms. Can we stop with the uniform curse crap. My God. The uniform wasn't cursed the first 37 minutes of the game. <laughs> Illinois had 90 points or whatever the hell it was, 82 points. But then magically they become cursed in the final 40 seconds. Like, give me a break. I would say they shouldn't have worn the blue uniforms because the other team's primary color is blue. Save those for Maryland or Michigan State or Wisconsin or Nebraska or something. That's besides the point. I like the uniforms. I like the blue kits. So, yes, I get a little upset. I get riled up about that. But come on. We're blaming the color of pants again. We're doing it again. So then by that logic, Brad Underwood should just make his guys wear the blue suits every single night. Wear them every fucking game. And then when they win four out of five or seven out of eight, no one's going to talk about the goddamn uniforms anymore. It's a lazy thing to blame it on. You can blame it on coaching. You can blame it on player execution. You can blame it on a lack of adjustments or X's and O's. You can blame it on a ton of stuff. Don't blame it on the gym. And don't blame it on the stupid uniforms. Oh, you're going to burn the blue uniforms. Give me a break. And so I just want to go back to a couple of things and then I'll move on to the next game because that's an important thing to remember is that Illinois had another game to play. I understand not wanting to be stagnant. And I understand continuing to want more and continuing to raise the level of expectation. I get all of that. I do. I really do. But making these definitive, declarative statements after every loss, it's just whiny. That's all it is. It's whiny. It's why other fan bases hate our fan base. All of the shit posting about this team being doomed and you got to fire Brad Underwood. This is the last straw. And how much longer do we put up with Brad Underwood? Like, are you kidding? It's wearying. It's exhausting. It's an overreaction to every single defeat. There was a lot to blame Brad Underwood about on Wednesday. I'm not denying it. I'm not excusing it. Putting certain guys in, taking certain guys out. Yes, Ty Rogers had four fouls. He was in trouble for much of the game. Didn't see him the latter stages. He was an animal on the glass. Illinois in general. Our rebound to Penn State, 49 to 25. 49 to 25 and lost the game. That's what I'm saying. It, there was fluky stuff throughout this game. So all the Sturm and Drong about Brad Underwood having to get fired and when will enough be enough? Like this solidifies that they're going to go out in the first round of the tournament. And like, you don't know any of this. 
You don't know. You don't know. All you had to do, Brad, was beat Loyola in 2021. That's all you had to do. And we wouldn't have to keep having this freaking conversation. Thank God they didn't wear the blue jerseys against Loyola. Holy shit. But as Brad Underwood said after the game, after the Penn State game, the sun came up. The sun came up. And they moved on, as you should do. That that was a loss that could have had two conclusions. Two things could have happened. You can let that outcome sink your season, let that define you as a group, or you can let that be a wake-up call. I need to play better. I need to make better decisions. I, as a coach need to reassess my lineup, my substitution patterns, my out-of-bounds plays, whatever. And that's what we saw on Saturday against the Iowa Hawkeyes. Illinois responding in a big way, defeating Iowa 95-85. Again, defense was struggling. The defense the past month for Illinois has been dwindling. It's been deteriorating, disintegrating, dissipating, (laughs) and it's been disappointing. There's no doubt. Illinois was one of the more complete teams in the country like a month ago. And since then, they just seem to have no desire on defense. They're missing something. I don't know what that is, but they're obviously missing something. But that was my concern following the Penn State game was, oh boy, Penn State's really not that good of an offensive team. And we know how good Fran McCaffrey and Iowa are on offense. We know what they can do. We've, this has been Fran McCaffrey's template for his entire run at Iowa. They're going to score a load of points. They're not going to play very good defense. A lot of games are going to be shootouts. And... The guy who's got the fastest gun is going to win. And Illinois outgunned Iowa on this particular day. And there was a lot to talk about for sure. Illinois, 7 of 17 from 3 in the first half. They led by 1. It was 44-43. Iowa was working the mid-range game. They were having a lot of success with those pull-ups from 15 feet, 12 feet, 18 feet. They didn't take a lot of three. They only took 12 in this game. Their focus on both ends was within the paint, really. They were trying to restrict TSJ from entering the paint because they saw what he did against Penn State. He just destroyed the Nittany Lions attacking the rim. So they really did a good job of walling off the paint, and Illinois just happened to make some shots which forced Iowa to change the way they were doing some stuff. But 7 of 17 in the first half. So offense was clicking early. Illinois had 23 points at the under 12 timeout. Hawkins had 13 of those 23 points. So Coleman Hawkins coming off maybe his worst college game, certainly his worst game this season, follows it up with his best game of his career. And that's what leadership is. That's what seniors ought to do respond to adversity respond to challenges and i'll talk more about coleman here in a minute but iowa shot 62 percent in the first half iowa shot 62 percent in the first half illinois as i said led by one and illinois was cooking offensively as well But Iowa, 62%. And a lot of that was coming from those tough twos. Brad Underwood mentioned that. Those tough twos, those mid-range jumpers, contested shots. Tony Perkins lives for those. He's really good at that mid-range pull-up jumper, those fall-away jumpers. He's really good at those. Peyton Sanford, Josh Dix, those guys were really making hay there. Cricky had a few of them, too. So Illinois wins, or Illinois is up by one. They're winning by one at half. 
come out of the second half, they just look lackadaisical. They didn't have that same lift, that same fire that they started the game with. First four shots are threes. They miss all four. Brad Underwood calls a timeout. And what does he do? He makes an adjustment, folks. And he puts in the uh, the hockey substitution. That's been the, the common phrase is the hockey sub. Benches all five starters. Puts in Danger, Hansberry, Harmon, Goody, and Nico Moretti, who we had not seen in a while. Uh, when we have seen him, it's been garbage time when the outcome has already been decided. This is you know three minutes into the second half. A lot of game left, but Brad Underwood sensed something was off with his guys. He pulled them. He sat them down. I'm sure he uh, chewed their hide a little bit, <laughs> maybe more than a little bit, and brought in a fresh set of five guys. And the bench really shined, specifically Hansberry, Moretti, and Harmon. Hansberry, 13 minutes, four points, four rebounds. It doesn't jump out on the stat sheet, but if you watched the game, you saw he had a tremendous impact in this game. Hell, I'll give Dane Danger some love too. Six points, eight rebounds in 14 minutes. And he was just three of seven shooting. He was missing those bunnies that he typically makes with ease. But he had a nice night. Justin Harmon, 12 points in 19 minutes with six of six from the free throw line. He was clutch at the end of the game. But Nico Moretti stands out because, again, he had really not played that much. And Kyle Tausk wrote a sensational article at the Champagne Room about this. There's a simple message to Brad Underwood. Your bench is good. Use it more. <laughs> and Kyle detailing that hockey substitution and the subsequent usage of those players saying, quote, it was a harsh yet necessary message that helped the Illini feel the urgency they needed, unquote. And it's hard to argue with that, right? And the bench had been underutilized for most of the season, unless your last name was Goody or Harmon. You know, Dane Danger would have games where he'd play nine or ten minutes. He'd have games where he'd play two minutes, and he'd get burned on defense, and Brad would yank him and put Coleman back in or Gary A or whoever. But Moretti had played 19 total minutes since November 19th. Now, he had the foot thing that kept him out for a while, but even when he was playing, it was sparingly. Hansberry, I mentioned at 13 minutes on Saturday. He had played just 14 total minutes since December 29th. Again, he's had a bulky back. He's had some issues with that. Brad Underwood said, ideally, Amani Hansberry is playing 20 minutes a game, but the back had limited his ability to do that. Harmon, 12 points in 19 minutes. He was a team best plus 23. And he was ridiculed for his performance against Penn State, rightfully so. But we did not have to deal with that on Saturday. He was excellent. And he was not the first guy off the bench like we've typically seen. Brad Underwood kind of let him stew on the bench for a bit before calling his number. And then he was part of that line change early in the second half. And he was in for much of the game after that. So relating to the reserves, to quote Kyle once again, this could be a building block to contribute to a March run. Unquote. So highly recommend you read Kyle's recap at thechampagneroom.com as well. Let's just dive into some more of the numbers here real quick. Gary A, nine points on four of nine shooting. Didn't have a couple of sensational dunks, though. So 
He won the highlight portion of the game. And Ty Rogers, two points in 15 minutes. So your other four starters, aside from Coleman Hawkins, combined for 31 points. TSJ, Marcus Damask, they were combining for 20 points on 6 of 19 from the floor. Normally, that would not be enough to get a win. But then Coleman Hawkins had the game of his life, literally his best career game. 30 points, 9 of 11 from the field, 9 of 11 from the stripe. And in the final six minutes, 10 points, two assists, three steals in the final six minutes. And as I mentioned, as Brad Underwood had mentioned, that's what leadership is. He's a senior. Brad mentioned after the game that he and Coleman had a very long conversation got on the same page, and Coleman reiterated that during his post-game interview as well, that this is all done with love, that Brad Underwood was coaching them very hard in practice, but it was out of trying to get something out of his guys, making them work, making them realize it's not going to be easy. You have to challenge each other challenge yourself and Coleman Hawkins certainly responded after one of his worst career games follows it up with his best career game great work and defensively clearly that switch triggered something because Iowa was only 35% shooting in the second half 62% in half number one 35% in half number two. I thought Illinois did a great job against Owen Freeman. He's going to be the Big Ten freshman of the year. Eight points, eight rebounds in 29 minutes. Sanford, I think only had 12. Sanford had a relatively quiet game. Perkins had 18 and eight rebounds. Josh Dix had 20 points. He had a really nice game, but Illinois really woke up and played inspired in the second half trying to silence those critics letting people know this is who we are we can close out a game we can overcome adversity even if that adversity was self-administered they could have folded up the tent but they didn't there's still a force in the big Ten. They still have a shot to win the Big Ten. Yes, losing to Penn State hurt that chance, but they've still got an outside chance. They're going to get a double bye in the Big Ten tournament, and they're going to be seated very, very favorably in the NCAA tournament. None of that is changing. This was a big game for Iowa because they've been trying to climb up, 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 get back into that tourney conversation. They've had a couple of nice wins lately. This would have been their third straight quad one win, and Illinois was able to stifle them in Champaign. So maybe it wasn't an adjustment per se by Brad Underwood. Maybe more of an admission that something he was trying, something he was doing, hadn't been working as well as it could have. Brand Dolce at the Champagne Room Comparing the result in Saturday's game to the discovery of penicillin. (laughs) Not something I expected to see on the bingo card. Um, I'll let you decide if that's an apt analogy or not. It's worth a read just to see what the hell he's talking about at thechampagneroom.com. Something else I did not expect to see on the bingo card. Dane Danger assisting to... Amani Hansberry, that might be the first time you'll ever see that. Probably the last time you'll see that. And then Brand Dolce comparing Illinois' victory over Iowa to the discovery of penicillin. <laughs> this is where we're at. This is where we're at in this point of the season. Every outcome of every game is dissected 
and we make these statements, these absolute type things, and nothing is absolute other than we don't know what the hell to expect. We know this team's got a ton of talent. We know what the messaging has been all year. But this team can beat anybody. This team can play with and beat any team in the country. And I'm not going to make these broad generalizations because of one outcome. You won a game you needed to win. You had to beat Iowa. You still have Iowa in Carver at the end of the year. That's a game Illinois could likely lose. Teams have struggled winning on the road all year in the Big Ten. Ranked teams have had a hard time winning in general on the road, which is another reason why that Penn State game is like, ah, yeah, it was shitty. Man, that was hard to deal with. It was hard to watch. But it was a road game. Teams have not been able to win consistently on the road at all this year. So Illinois has got Minnesota next. Minnesota just lost on the road to Nebraska. Minnesota is now 8-8 eight and eight in the league, 17-10 overall. They entered Sunday 72 in the net. It's a chance for another game against a team that's scratching, fighting for position. And those last three games are going to be tough. All three of them are going to be hell. At Wisconsin, home to Purdue, at Iowa. This is your best opportunity for a win the rest of the year. Take care of the Gophers on Wednesday. Then you got to head to Madison. You got to face the number one team in the league. And you got to face a team that's really good at home in the Iowa Hawkeyes. A team that was giving you a difficult go in your own arena for about 35 minutes. So if Illinois can come out of this, I'd say 3-1. and one, That's like the best possible scenario. 3-1 and one would be fantastic in these final four games. But beat Minnesota, and we don't need to look ahead any further than that. Let me just add one last thing and then I'll be done with it. So for all the people piling on about Brad Underwood, and again, this loss to Penn State was dreadful. It was inexcusable. But they made up for it by beating Iowa three days later. You can be mad about Brad Underwood. You can think... He's incomplete as a coach. This isn't new. We've referred to him as like a GM type of coach. He's a good evaluator of talent. He's good at stockpiling talent. He may not be that tactician that sets him apart from other coaches. There are other coaches that are really great at the X's and O's stuff and aren't as good at the recruiting stuff. Obviously, you want to be good at both, that's best case scenario. But Brad Underwood's 60 years old. He's not going to just automatically flip who he is. Not saying he's not going to learn something along the way, but he's been in the coaching game for a long time. Most coaches are pretty set in their ways. He's shown a willingness to tweak things, but we know who Brad Underwood is at this point. At least we should. If you're still in that fire Brad crowd, nothing I'm going to say to you right now will change your mind, will dissuade you from that. But Brad Underwood and the Illini are now 108 and 47 over the past five seasons. 108 and 47. 66 and 30. In the Big Ten. I will reiterate, that's the most Big Ten wins of any program during that period. More than Purdue, Michigan State, Wisconsin. 66 and 30. And oh, by the way, he's the first coach since Lou Henson to register five straight 
20 win seasons. We all love Lou Henson, right? Love the flying Illini teams, love all that. He's the first guy. Lou Henson hasn't coached Illinois since like 1996. It's been almost 30 years. Illinois has not had this run of success in two decades plus. So if you want to fire that guy, good luck with your search because this could be an Archie Miller situation or a Mike Woodson situation or a Chris Holtman situation or a Jawan Howard situation. Would you rather have that and be right back to square one? No, you wouldn't. Fans are blinded by, oh, they didn't win in March. He hasn't won in March until he wins in March. I get it. That's the litmus test. That's the only thing missing. Second weekend and beyond. That's it. That's the last thing to check off the list. As soon as that happens, people will shut the hell up about the coach and how this program underachieves. They're not good enough, yada, yada, yada. Until that happens, that conversation is always going to exist. I get it. But think about how bad this program was even five years ago to where it is now. Who's been the one constant? It's Brad Underwood. Players change. Coaches have entered and exited Champagne. Brad Underwood's been there. Let's give him some credit. Oski Talk is sponsored by Liddyville LLC. You can purchase officially licensed Fighting Illini merchandise by visiting liddyville.com. You can also find them on X, a.k.a. Twitter, at Liddyville Gear. That's L-I-T-T-Y-V-I-L-L-E. And we thank them for their partnership. And lastly, women's basketball, speaking of the Hawkeyes, was in Iowa City to take on Caitlin Clark and fourth-ranked Iowa. Iowa looking to bounce back. They lost to Indiana in their most recent game. Coincidentally, Illinois upset Indiana in its most recent game, Monday, at a 20-point win over the Hoosiers. Their marquee victory of the season. They're looking to win another one against a ranked opponent. And, oh, by the way, the best player in college basketball, Caitlin Clark. But it was not to be. Iowa getting the job done. 101-85 on Sunday at Carver Hawkeye Arena. It was not the dominant offensive game from Caitlin Clark that we've been used to seeing. She struggled against Indiana as well. I think it was like 6 of 24 or something like that. Uh, Caitlin Clark was 2 of 9 in the first half against Illinois on Sunday. She finishes with a triple-double, 24 points, 15 rebounds, 10 assists. So she showed off all the tools in the toolbox. She did not take 40 shots. She was still finding her teammates, still contributing, even though she herself was struggling a bit offensively. Hannah Stolke with 20 points and 9 rebounds for Iowa. Molly Davis, 17 points. Cade Martin, 13 points. Iowa as a group, 17 of 37 from three-point range. 46% from three. And they got it going early. It was an onslaught early on. Iowa had a 10-0 run in the first quarter in about 90 seconds to take a 24-10 lead. They had a 30-18 lead after the first quarter. They led 50-34 to at the half. And just to show you how well they were sharing the ball, Hawkeyes had 16 assists on 18 buckets in that first half. Just insane how efficient they were. Illinois' defense was atrocious in that first half. Iowa had four or five made threes, but there wasn't a defender within 10 feet of the shooter. It looked like the NBA All-Star game at times, which people just... They were focusing so heavily 
on Caitlin Clark and sort of penning her in. They weren't watching the ball. And it's just like, whoop, there's an open three. Money. Oh, there's an open three. Money. Illinois really struggled on the defensive side, specifically in the first half. Iowa 8 for 18 from three in that first half. Again, I mentioned they were 17 of 37 from the game. Caitlin Clark was nearing a triple-double at halftime. Nine points, eight rebounds, and six assists. So on the Illini side of things, Makaira Cook finished with 26. She led all scorers with 26 points. Eight of 19 shooting. Genesis Bryant, 19 points on 7 of 15 from the floor. Also had six rebounds, six assists. Adalia McKenzie with 13 Camille Javi with 12. Kendall Bostic had to work for it, but got a double-double again. 10 points and 17 rebounds. If you look at the numbers here, Illinois was 31 of 77 from the floor. That's 40.3%. They were 8 of 23 from 3. And 15 of 16 from the free throw line. So 40% from the field, 35% from 3, and 94% from the line. That's good enough to win most games. That's not going to be good enough to beat Iowa. They're so good offensively. They're a machine. And even when Caitlin Clark isn't dominating and dropping 35, 40 points, she gets other players involved. She gets them opportunities to score. And we saw that in spades on Sunday in Iowa City. And the BTN crew, or the... uh, FS1 crew, I should say, alluded to this during the game that Shauna Green knew this was coming. She expected this because Iowa had just lost the game before. So they're going to be pissed off. They're going to be ready to bounce back, ready to get right. And they assuredly did that. And there was a stat during the game. They showed this right out of halftime, I believe. And it's an astounding stat that Iowa, after a loss, is averaging 103.7 points. 103.7 after a loss this year. And 49% from three. And they damn near did that against Illinois on Sunday. 46% from three and put up 101 on the scoreboard. They're really difficult to beat. It's almost impossible to beat them following a loss. And Lisa Bluter's done a tremendous job there. Obviously, Caitlin Clark is the focal point. She's the center of attention. Tickets are going for like 20 times face value because people just want to see her. And they got to see a triple-double. My friends, our neighbors were at the game on Sunday, and they're like, bucket list. Kaylin Clark, triple-double. And Iowa unveiled a 22 decal on the floor. They put it on the spot where she hit that three to set the all-time scoring records. There's a little 22 that's going to be inked on that floor at Carver-Hawkeye Arena for the foreseeable future. You knew it was going to take a Herculean effort for Illinois to win. And we've talked about this in the past, but... Illinois has got a very undersized team. Makaira Cook, Genesis Bryant, I think they're 5'8 and 5'6, respectively. Kendall Bostic is 6'2. She's playing center. Kaylin Clark's a shooting guard, and she's six feet tall. So the smaller guards for Illinois had a hard time making plays in the lane because they're just going to stand up and Hawkeyes are going to put their hands up, and you got to knife through three or four people that are four, five, six inches taller than you. So it was a struggle for Illinois. But again, they scored 85 points. It wasn't a bad offensive game, but you have to play almost perfectly offensively to have a chance against Iowa, specifically on the road. And it just wasn't enough for Illinois to get that done. So Hawkeyes... Improved to 24 and 4. Illini dropped to 13 and 13 
and seven and nine in league play. They have two games left on the docket. They'll be at Michigan State on Thursday night. That's on BTN. And then they will host Nebraska at the end of the year. Final game, March 3rd in Champaign against the Cornhuskers. Those are two teams where if Illinois can, can steal a win or both, they might be in that tourney conversation. I doubt it. I think you'd still have to go on a tear in the Big Ten tournament to have a shot at that. But if they can finish around 500 and then win a couple of games, maybe in the Big Ten tournament, you're certainly talking about NIT for sure. I think they'll get put in the NIT. So yes, Illinois has been playing better lately, but dug themselves an early hole in conference play. And this is a particularly rough stretch of their schedule. Indiana, Iowa, Michigan State, Nebraska, back to back to back to back. That's going to be a tough road for any team, especially a team that's 500 and has been inconsistent throughout the year. You're expecting them to now win two more games they're not going to be expected to win just to give them a a puncher's chance at a postseason appearance. Stranger things have happened, but I think overall, I'm not be anticipating that. Unless Illinois goes on a deep run in Minneapolis for the Big Ten tournament, I would not be expecting that. That's going to wrap it up for Oski Talk this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, you can check out previous episodes at thechampagneroom.com. You can also download and subscribe to Oski Talk wherever you get your podcasts. Going to be a lot of hoops chatter continuing in the weeks ahead. Home stretch said two games left for the women and four games left for the men. And then we're talking conference tournaments. We're talking NCAA tournaments, seeds and bracketology and prognostications. And there's still a lot left to sort out. This ain't over by a long shot. But we appreciate your support. And make sure you follow the Champagne Room on social media as well. Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Tons of great stuff for you every single day, courtesy of our crew at TCR. Talk to you again next week. I'm Drew Pastorek. ILL.